I am so excited to have the dynamic duo of Kimberly Hayes Demuga and Amanda Day be our guest speakers for today's podcast. Together, you may know them from the very entertaining and educational Fundraising Hey Day podcast. Welcome, Kimberly and Amanda. Hey there. Yeah, thanks for having us, Tammy. We love Foundits and Grant Hub and all your good stuff, so we're happy to be here. We sure are. Thank you. And I am an extreme fan of your podcast. So uh, I am so glad you went to uh, double the amount of episodes in this year, uh, season four. So uh, even more of you to enjoy. That's right. Uh, to, today, I thought we'd start off discussing challenges and difficulties in grant seekers in grant seeking, both for beginners and experts alike. You cover so many of these topics in your podcast. Uh, but the responsibilities and processes around this area, they're not always as straightforward as we'd like them to be. Uh, so Kimberly, can you start us off with some of the biggest challenges you've seen oh, grant professionals? Gosh, oh. Tammy, you know, I never have an opinion about anything. Just ask my co-host. Never. Just a shy, retiring unopinionated person. But um, I guess for me, especially in the like the last 10 years of my career, it's, it's been um, a lot more about the why, why things are done a certain way. I'm sure Amanda would would chime in and say we obviously we spent the first part of our careers learning the how to's. And that's a topic that we address on the podcast a lot with different um, with our own expertise, and then with different experts in the field around various subjects. But for me, it was getting to the why things are done a certain way um, that really got me thinking about this. And then behind the why, there's all sorts of um, deeper discussions about who controls the money, who decides who gets the money, who's making all those decisions. So, But a lot of it can sur surfaced for me first and sort of stepping back and looking um, at the process and going, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, why? Why, why do we have character counts? And, and why do I have to attach a bunch of documents year after year to the same organization? And why is it that as a grant reviewer, I'll see people who, agencies rather, they really, really need the money, but I know as a reviewer, I can't score them high enough because of technical issues with their proposal. Amanda, I know you have many thoughts about that, too. Oh, the more grants I write, the more I get frustrated at the application process. And mm -hmm. you're, I'm literally sitting here surrounded by paperwork. I'm working on <laughs> a local county grant. And at best, we're probably going to get $15,000, which is, I mean, that's a, you know, it's not nothing. So $15,000, I'm, I'm not going to complain about that. But I kid you not. In addition, in addition to being an online application that's an Excel spreadsheet, oh how many people have oh, enjoyed writing I know, narrative? I know which county in, this is. I know which county this is. Spreadsheet. I will not. And name there them. are sixteen attachments, girl. In addition to the application, girl, sixteen. And what cracks me up is when they had their webinar to go over it. First of all. I was really annoyed that I sat through an hour and a half 
to listen to them read the application to me. That's all they did. Now, they answered questions at the end, which okay. that was the helpful part. But for an hour, it was them reading the application. And I wanted to be like, yeah, I, I can. if I can't read, then there's no way I can submit this. So, like, let's move on. To be fair. This. And when someone commented, like, this seems like a lot of work, their response was, oh, you should be able to do this in five hours or less. For $15,000, if you were keeping track, listeners out there in podcast land, why don't you break that down? I mean, yeah. Yeah. And I'm sitting here thinking, if you were an organization, like, I could probably do this pretty quickly because this is a nonprofit I've been working with for over a year. Most of, most, not all, most of these attachments that they want, I already have access to readily. Sure. But there's some that are going to have to be created from scratch. And I'm just the attachments alone could easily take five hours worth of work, much less the application. So, yeah, the application processes, even whether it's a nonprofit or whether it's a foundation, you know, application mm. or a federal grant or mm. somewhere in between. Um, yeah, they're they're interesting. It kind of also speaks to another issue and I'm purposely holding back because y'all I could pontificate for hours about this I will say one more thing I will say that it's true that Amanda is so very good at what she does years of experience bringing in transformational grants for local governments and nonprofits but here's the deal you as a nonprofit or local government or no, or another grant seeking entity you would need to have the resources to either hire a consultant or hire a part-time or full-time grant writer or tackle it yourself, which means Mm -hmm. taking time away from the communities that you serve to fill out all of this. And I I also want to say I completely understand wanting to be clear about how you'll use the funds because unfortunately there are people who will misuse grant funds, um, but those people had to get funded first to lose the money, right? So it's like they know how to fill out the form. They're just ignoring the rules and regs. But I think there needs to be some sort of correlation between the amount of money and the length of the proposal at the very least. Yes, and there yes. is none. And it kind of goes along with there's a – that kind of comes to another thing that I just see over and over again is sort of a lack of transparency about – um, grant seeking in general, um, sort of how decisions are made, why decisions are made. I will say that that for me has, I've mostly felt that in the private funding sector, right? Private foundations. And there's some private foundations yeah. that do great work with this that are mm-hmm. completely collaborative, but there's still a, a lot of old school kind of, you know, we're in the fancy office on the hill and we're going to tell you what you need to do, but we're not going to really tell you about our own process. For example, the state of Georgia, the Department of Education, has um, hires um, external grant reviewers just like on a contract. Amanda and I have both done this. You get a rubric. You get some training. You you know, and you can – There, it's, it's pretty clear – even even if the criteria, which we'll get to, isn't the best in terms, in my opinion, it's clear the expectations. It's clear how the process works. It's clear as a grant seeker, you know that your application is going to be reviewed by a committee and graded. And at, at the same for federal um, and perhaps some local. But in the private sector, it's because it's private. In the foundation sector, you just you just don't know. And I could I could see that being a a key 
decision making um, piece of data, whether I should pursue, whether yep. I should spend my time on this, if I know how I'm going to be graded, like a previous relationship with this funder is the most important thing beyond need, then I know that, hey, I'll spend more years developing that relationship before I spend the five hours or 10 hours, uh, whatever it uh, it may at least, at least, to, at least to fill out um, some of the crazy applications. Okay. I think also it would be, and I guess what I'm saying is the private foundation is, I mean, it's like a public company versus a private company. I can, I, I totally get it. But also like if you are a private foundation and you really, you might fund and I'm just going to pick childcare and you fund in the area of childcare, but you really have two or three nonprofits that you that you just know you're going to keep funding because like like you said Tammy you've built that relationship I'm almost like then then call it or have a separate yeah. time where you might want to bring in um some other some some newer or smaller or different organizations maybe on a separate cycle but I would say just call it I I'm not crazy about people doing the same things the same way year after year after year after year because if nothing else, in the past 18 months, our, all of our lives have changed dramatically. Change does happen. But I think just being transparent about we are, yes, we do fund child care, but we are primarily funding these four Head Start programs or these four um, um, after school programs. And that's where we are. And just leave it because they don't have to by the 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 laws of how uh, foundations are set up, they can just fund the same people. They don't even have to have a competitive grants process. So I guess what I'm saying is if you, if your grants process really isn't competitive, then just call it, you know, just, yeah. just get yeah. out there and fund your folks and you work out how you want the reports from them. And then maybe every two years you might do something, but instead of sort of, Hey, everybody come on and apply when that's maybe not necessarily the way things are going to get funded. Yeah. Well, I um, was doing some grant research this month for a new client and came across, um, it's called the Healthcare Georgia Foundation. Mm-hmm. They do both solicited un- and unsolicited funding. So sure. I like that they, they do exactly what you're talking about. Hey, we know we're going to give to these folks, so they're automatically getting our money. But they also hold aside a certain amount, I guess, for new folks to come in. Yeah, um, and which I, is- I appreciate that they were honest about it and, and how the process works. So transparency it's, is it's just it, and then it helps like tammy said it just helps everybody understand what where they need to devote their energy exactly um yeah i gosh i, I have more tammy <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that you touched on that i'd love for you to dig in a little mm-hmm. bit more is the whole um you know advantage that difficult uh that that certain uh, nonprofits or, or nonprofits who could afford professionals such as yourself, yeah. the advantage that they receive over other nonprofits in need um, due to uh, difficulties or complexities in the application process. Sure. Uh, yeah. Could you speak to that a little bit more? Oh, my goodness. Yes, I can. Actually, <laughs> I'm saying that because um, – I think I was talking about that one day and Amanda took a screenshot of the recording uh, platform that we were using. And it just, it was like, it was like someone was dying of a heart attack, you know, in the movies where that you see the, the EKG and like, you know, but I was just, I was, I was ranting is what I was doing, but, but yeah, here's the trick. I mean, it's not even a trick. It, 
the the agencies there there's there's a big lack of diversity for many funders not all but for many um foundations again not all and i have spent my career working um and living in the south so i will talk and particularly in georgia so i can talk about um those foundations and the board makeup with some with uh, some more comfort i don't want to generalize but i will say foundations that i have worked with um, either as an employee for a nonprofit seeking grant funding or as a consultant, um, you know, they always ask the grant seeker, what is the racial, ethnic, whatever makeup of your board? But if you were to turn the tables or go look up their board members or, or, or pull a list off their 990s and look, mainly it's going to be white people, mainly older or middle-aged white people and mainly men. Again, not the hashtag, not all foundations, but I'm just saying, there's a, if there's a lack of diversity in the decision-making body of a foundation, just like in the nonprofit that they're seeking that diversity information from, how can it not color the decision-making process? I mean, how can it not? And yeah. so I would say, and I also as a reviewer, Amanda and I have talked about this a bunch of times, I can score, you know, the, the best written applications that also show need are going to get funded. But um, we were looking at, um, it was a, it was McKinney-Vento, um, mm-hmm. which is a program to help children who become homeless stay connected with the school in a, in a way that, 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 that works for them and their families. And some of the applications were the, were the, st- the statistics were dire in terms of lack of funding um, and the extreme rural location. So I'm not mm-hmm. talking about just race, although, hello, that is the one of the deepest and the most obvious, but also all across um, socioeconomic lines. It's almost like you have to grow to a certain level to, to get grant funding. It's not almost like that's what it is. And to grow to that level may or may not work for the kind of work that you're trying to do in your community. Does that, Amanda, does that make sense to you? Do you want to hop in and? Yeah, well, and I mean, to put it more plainly too, I think going back <laughs> to the question <laughs> that Tammy had asked, it's grant writing is an art. There's a skill. It's a game and you have to know how to play the game. And part of that is not just, hey, we have this problem. It's, are you answering the questions yep. in the right way? Are you following the rules of the funder to a T? Because they're not joking. When they say you have 100 characters, you have 100 characters. Are you also making sure that you're making, you know, everything's grammatically correct and spelled correct? There are so many things that can hurt you. And so it's, it's, all, it's this awful situation where you've got these, whether it's a foundation or a school system or a, a city or a county, the ones that need the most help don't have the money to hire the grant consultants. They don't have the money to send the, you know, the city clerk, the program director, whoever they've said, Hey, you're writing this grant. They don't have the money to send them to conferences and workshops. And so they can figure out how to play that game. And so it's just, it's almost like, you know, they're playing pin to tell the donkey, hoping they get it right without knowing, you know, they've got the blindfold on. They've been spun 5,000 times where the rest of us have learned how to take that blindfold off and to walk that straight shot. So it definitely, it's a game that is not set up no. for everybody to no, be on the, equal the, 
the rule, there, there's so the many cell. rules, and I always question why are they that way in the first place? Aren't there other ways to gather that information in a meaningful way so that, you know, there's clear communication and intent and purpose and follow through? It's, yeah, it's the, when I learned all the rules, then I realized, wow, some of these rules really don't make sense. So just because they're rules doesn't mean that it's in that certainly in the best interest of a lot of a lot of agencies. Um, mm-hmm. I really appreciate that that process of stepping back mm-hmm. and 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 recognizing that these are rules the way we've done it in the past. <clears throat> your processes are set up to work with them. Um, and as you know, at Foundant, we, we have software for, for grant seekers as well as the funders and, yep. uh, in training our, uh, customer success managers who work with the funders, uh, we've been training them on some processes of recommending best practices of how people should set up their forms. And I love our, our customers who are out there sharing best practices, yeah. especially over the past year of how do I make this easier? And it is just, mm-hmm. it's so interesting to see them saying, you know, these aha moments. Of, mm-hmm. Well, it's always just been that way. And I need just a little bit of support to push back on their on my organization to say, well, we shouldn't keep doing it that right. way. Right. Right. Yes. And, and so I love these stories coming out, them seeing the pain. Cause one of the things I worry about is nobody wants to risk their, oh. their funding. So, Absolutely. so yeah, yeah. Oh, I agree. It only takes five hours. I mean, did, did anybody <laughs> correct them that it doesn't take five hours, right? No. Is anybody going to be the truth teller in this, right? <laughs> well, because I mean, I, you know, and it, this was an online form and you were just doing the chat, but of course your name is attached, you know, when you sign mm-hmm. in and put your name in, you're, so if you're going to know who it is and like, even though I'm a consultant, they're going to know who I, I, they know who I submit for. I don't want to be the jerk who was like, seriously. <laughs> so I would say truth teller, not jerk. You would be the truth teller, not true. the jerk. This is true. This is not true. The jerk. But especially since their immediate reaction to that was like, Oh no, this doesn't take long. Like, and these okay. are people that have been managing this grant for 20 years. They don't know though. They've never done it. Have they Most ever? Exactly. Have exactly. never taken their own application. And that's, if you are a funder listening to this, Please, do it. please. Do it once, because I think that would totally change your attitude of, um, and you know, there, don't be wrong. I'm not afraid to be honest with funders. It, it, it just kind of depends on who the funder is, oh, your relation. These are ladies I don't really have a relationship with, so I yes. couldn't say anything, but I've, there's a federal funder. He and I had spent a lot of time talking about our project that this community and I were submitting. I was having a hard time. It was through grants.gov. I put in their CFDA number. There were eight options with the same CFDA number. And I wanted to make sure I picked the right one. And so I had emailed him and he goes, well, just put this in. I'm like, I did that. This was my result. So he tried it and he he was like, oh, so he helped me get to the bottom of it. And he was like, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. And he's like, I've never tried this before. And with him, I just, I felt like we had the report. He would take it well. So I just said, you might want to. I said, I bet that would make some changes on your end. <laughs> and he was like, not a bad idea. I was like, yeah. Wow. Yes. Thank so you, Captain you can. I know sometimes you can, but I think it's knowing, knowing the funder, knowing what your relationship, there are some funders. Heck, I could pick up the phone today and be like, can I give y'all some ideas? Not that you have to take them, but here you go. There are other funders. I wouldn't even a million years think about doing it. Cause I know, 
the repercussions would not be good for my clients if I did that. So it's, I also would say for foundations that it is wonderful to, to try your forms yourself. If for nothing else, make sure it works. We've seen during the pandemic that you don't have to have super complicated applications to do a good thing. So there's already precedent for that. Yeah. Um, but also to maybe consider um, having some sort of input just on a regular basis outside of the proposal. This is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, separate. So a lot of times you'll get down to the very end of the proposal. Let's just say that it only took you five hours, she said. Y'all can't see my face, but I'm like rolling my eyes. And you get down to the very end, right? And it says, what feedback would you offer County X? That is not the time to go. Y'all's process really sucks. And I, on behalf of my client, I can't believe that, Number one, you're not going to get funded. And number two, that's just, that's not the way to get the change that we all really want. It might make you feel good for the 20 seconds you to type it in. Then you'd hit submit and then you just have to move to another state and start over again um, (laughs) or something. But it'd be like like those, have you ever done that? When something happens, you get so mad and you fire off that email and then somewhere in the back of your brain, it says, don't hit send yet. And so you sit on it for three days and then you read it again and then you delete most of what you wrote, you wrote another one. So that's, it's, it might feel good, but you just, you need to delete probably. I mean, in my perfect world, there would be um, maybe, you know, connected with some professional associations, maybe grand professionals association or, um, uh, NGMA, the National Grant Management Association or the Association of Fundraising Professionals. There, maybe there could be a way to field review committee, you know, there, maybe there could be a way to connect it so that, you know, we're not, we're not out, you know, we'd be nice, but we could tell you what is it or we could help you figure out as a foundation. It's like, I want to know this about potential grantees. Well, maybe there's a way to ask that question or get that information that seasoned grant professionals could help you do, you know? Or Just ask saying. that, I mean, you can set up a blind survey monkey, which Not I blind. mean, you can there do 10 questions for free yep. and do it three months or do it a week or two after the application has been submitted and say, hey, thank you for <laughs> submitting. Can you please tell? That way it's you're getting good feedback, but mm-hmm. it's, nobody has to put their name on it. It's not attached to your application. Um, yeah. and you mentioned portals. Can I just say, <laughs> have you guys seen lately on social media everywhere? I am seeing people talking about the Just Grants site through Department of Justice. It's and I'm hearing some horrible stories about it taking so long. Things not where it's a new, it's a fairly new portal. And I know when things start, there's always bugs. And Tammy, you know, found it. Y'all are software companies. You know, nothing ever works right when it's True. supposed to. But I mean, I'm getting, I'm, I'm, I'm reading about some serious frustration and it just, I was supposed to, well, somebody had asked me to help with a cops grant and I just didn't have the time and everything I'm reading about it. I'm like, Oh, I'm so glad I turned that that application down. Just to clarify, explain to folks who may not know what a cops grant is. Oh, cops is, this is a grant through the department of justice. Cops stands for community oriented policing services and it allows um, police department, sheriff's departments, you can add additional police officers to help with community-oriented policing. So they're much forward-facing with the community, interacting with uh, business members, community organizations, trying to build the relationship that needs to be happening between communities and police departments across the country. So it's it's a great program. 
Um, but they, you know, the day it opened, they're emailing me and I'm like, yeah, I'm booked. And again, I'm, not only was I booked, but after hearing how cumbersome this, this site is, I'm really glad I said no. <laughs> what? A government process that is cumbersome and indecipherable? What? You're talking crazy now. Well, and I don't know, I don't know how many of you out there are doing federal grants and federal management and stuff, but um, there have the federal government is, which in the end, I think it's probably going to be a good thing, but they are slowly moving all these disjointed portals to the same site. Um, oh. So like SAM.gov, mm-hmm. um, where the wage determination website where you go to get information if you're doing construction projects, um, what used to be the um, catalog of federal domestic assistance website yep. It's now called assistance listings and it's merged. So they're merging all these separate portals onto one site. Um, and like I said, I think eventually it's, it'll be nice to have everything at once. But when you're used to going on and knowing I just click here, here and here, and I can figure out something in two minutes, it's all changing and it's trying to figure out what buttons to click to find what you were looking for is it's going to take some time. So yeah, yeah. websites and portals and changes and whew. It, yeah, I will say over the past 10 to 15 years, I think that it, 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 at least for on the federal side, that grants have gotten easier to identify. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, it's not Gov perfect, but yeah, grants, grants.gov is, is a really good place to go and, and keep up on, <clears throat> keep up with what the, the different changes. They're really trying and I can really see a difference. But yeah, this whole DOJ crazy portal business, I'm glad I'm not fooling with that right now. That's what I'll say. Yep. So anyway. Okay. Thank you for talking about all of these challenges. I'm, I do think I, and agree with you. If, if people could just taste their own medicine, it's a real simple <laughs> thing. You don't have to form a committee to do it. You don't have to pay anybody to do it. Just take your own, uh, um, application and, and fill it out, even though you, you know, with, with bogus information, you'll learn a lot. I agree with you on that. Um, but one of the things I really like best about your, your podcast, you could tell you've seen the good, the bad, the ugly, and sometimes I'm sure it could seem overwhelming, but you, you offer advice to grant seekers and nonprofits on what they could do to address and make progress despite these challenges and despite the fact that they're not the funder, they may not have control over everything. What what advice do you have to give? Amanda, do you want to start out there? Sure, I'd love to. Um, I think while it certainly is important to understand and identify what the issues are, it's also feels very good to commiserate. That's why I love talking to folks like Kimberly and Tammy. So it's because, you know, I come home and talk about this stuff to my husband and while he gets it, because he's actually written a grant or two in his life since he works in local government, he doesn't live it like we do. And so sometimes he just gets this glazed over look like, Oh my gosh, here she goes again. So it does, it does feel good to know that you're not alone in this. And so the commiseration part is totally good. Um, But I think there's a, I think too, it's part of, it's never going to change if we don't do something about it. Um, And while change can seem overwhelming when you're alone, I think by getting together with other folks, you've got a much louder voice. Um, So these professional organizations that Kimberly talked about, the Grant Professionals Association, which 
um, all of us on this call are members of also the National Grant Management uh-huh. Association. Now that's specifically for federal grant management, um, but if that's where your beef is, that's a good place to go. Um, the Association of Fundraising Professionals certainly dabbles in grants as not just fundraising. Um, so those are just a couple of examples of organizations you can get involved with, um, and they're going to have a much louder voice um, to champion some changes for things. So that would certainly be one of my first bits of advice is to join a group like that. Um, and plus you get so many other benefits out of it as well. So. It's true. And as an introvert, I'm not usually, hey, let me join a large group of people. That's just usually not the way that I move through life. But um, there is definitely strength in numbers. And um, most grant seekers, grant writers, grant developers, and grant managers are introverted so your people may be just right out there waiting on you i don't know um, it's how it's how all of us met with that's the right GPA, so that's right. a good place um <laughs> another thing that and also it can seem like oh these are such huge systemic changes how can i address it i don't know what to do what if i do the wrong thing and i would just say as someone who's coming to terms with how i personally can step up and do things to address what I see as some systemic problems, um, not only in philanthropy, but just in society as a whole, just you need to start where you are and know that there'll be some things that'll work and some things that won't work. And you may Mm -hmm. do or say or write and with good intentions, the wrong thing, and you're going to learn from it and it's going to be okay. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the things I would recommend is um, leaving a review at Grant Advisor, and that's grantadvisor.org, where it's you can leave reviews either as a registered user or uh, anonymously for um, positive and negative experiences you've had with different foundations. And um, it's, it's really taken off over the past, I don't know, maybe two or three years. Grant Advisor, they also did a survey. It was pretty much an international survey and had a campaign um, called hashtag fix the form where they were doing what we were talking about earlier, asking foundations to um, submit their applications for review through grant advisor. And I, I believe the program, the fix the form, the data that they were trying to get a hundred foundations to go in and do that. And lest you think that it's just little foundations, they had like Kresge and the Ford Foundation going through this voluntary review process. So some real heavy hitters in terms of setting the tone um, for for grant making. So I think that that's always something to keep in mind. But on, on a, on a uh, one-on-one level, leaving a review at Grant Advisor will also help them. It's like mm-hmm. a... Um, yeah, it's a review forum and you should check it out and um, see, I believe they have to have a certain number of reviews around a particular foundation before that it, you know, it posts before it goes live. Not anymore. Well, I'm wrong. Minimum, but now in, get on they post up, it all. Get on in it. Say what you got to yep. say. say what you <laughs> I can say. see that that not only helps the funder reading yes. them anonymously, but it also helps you know, for funders that aren't going to change their ways, it's it's a site for grant seekers then to to look at to see, oh, you know, this doesn't take five hours. This takes, you know, at least 20 hours yeah. and the average grant yeah, is and- 2,000 or what, you know, yeah. you, can, you can put some of that information out to help 
help the community. Yeah, I like that. I will throw in just a, a quick, I'm backsliding just a little bit, Tammy, but there was, um, I was working, I am working with a, a sort of a medium-sized nonprofit um, in the Southeast, not in the Georgia, not in Georgia. And they apply every year to a certain uh, private foundation. And then that's it's usually in October. So, you know, the fall, but in May, yeah, like, sort of like toward the end of May, they just got this, hey, it's time to apply again. And the deadline was June the 15th versus October 31st or whatever the deadline used to be. And so the executive director who knew had a contact there at the foundation said, hey, are you, you know, is this different for this year? And the response was, yes, I, we need to make it, we need to make the grant application a seamless experience for our employees. So I'm just going to put that out there. So you're rolling the deadline up by several months and you're not giving anybody any warning, no but notice. it's a seamless yeah. experience for your employees. Hey, you need to take good care of your employees, but just, I just let that hang out there for a second. It's like, how about your employees and you yourself wouldn't have a job if there wasn't this foundation and foundations exist <laughs> to give money to nonprofits. Can I just break that down for you? They, they, that's so let's, I, I would love to just flip the equation. And I have a good example though. I have a good example of a foundation um, who is doing just that. And it was the foundation that won um, grant maker of the year award for private foundations last year through the grant professionals association. I was on a committee that helped do the reviewing and I had the privilege of talking with that executive director and it's the New England Grassroots Environmental Fund. And it's a small foundation, but if you know anything about environmental work, you know that it's actually closely related to social justice work, right? Usually poor um, uh, people living in poverty, marginalized populations, generally it falls out among um, racial lines. Um, Don't all rarely have the cream of the crop when it comes to environmental living conditions, access to parks, clean air, clean water, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they have done a tremendous job with the board of directors said, you know what? We don't need to make decisions about the money. We're here to, to make sure the foundation itself is run lawfully and according to um, our fiduciary responsibility. But they said, foundation staff get on out there and make it happen the foundation staff said hey wait we're not the ones who really are feet on the ground knowing exactly what's going on in the community we want to have uh, um, collaborative grant making committees forgive me if I'm not getting the nomenclature all right and have them make the decisions and then they realize but if we're picking the committee members then then we're sort of throwing in a little twist there and so now um, it's their collaborative grant making committees comprised of former grant recipients and they meet and they decide things at pre pandemic, they were going to libraries to help people fill out applications. You know, they're going out into the community. What a concept. So there's some incredible work being done out there. And there, I would just hold them up as an example of when a, this was a foundation where the board was largely white, where the employees were diverse, but not as diverse as in, in terms of um, race and ethnicity as the communities they were serving. And they just, you know, pushed out the decision making to where it, the power was in the people in the community, because they're going to know, you know, 
what you need. Everybody, you know, we all want safe environments for our kids and our families and good schools and safe roads and um, access to health care. This is not, you know, it's not some exotic thing. I just loved that example. And thank you for letting me share that. Oh, those type of examples need to be you know, lift it up. Um, yes. I know as part of our, our internal training, as I mentioned earlier, for our, uh, our service people who help bring on new grant makers and help them build their applications, we had a webinar for them where we had a funder who did a lot of this work already mm-hmm. before pre-COVID. Yeah. It was great to spotlight them and have them share their application with all of their peers and talk about the work that they went through. And that is a, a great way, um, you know, that you can recognize when somebody gets it right. How do you, are there any ways to recognize those grant makers? That, well, Ooh, there is the, the grant maker of the year award, um, that applications for, um, um, 2021 just closed, but through the Grant Professionals Association, they do that every year. So, and they have public and private categories. And I want to say applications generally open in the spring of each year. So mm-hmm. you don't have to be a member of GPA to make a nomination. And it could be a really nice way to recognize also, um, positive reviews, um, at, on Grant Advisor. But uh, Amanda, mm-hmm. I'm sure you have some other wonderful suggestions. Well, I think just, you, you know, you see so much in social media how it's used to, like, call out people who aren't doing as well. Hmm. Um, if, you, if you don't follow um, Nonprofit AF on uh, Twitter and other social media, I highly recommend Vule. Um, he has offered up so many times, look, if you know about something, but it would hurt you to make it public, send it to me and I'll call it out. And so he uses the hashtag crappy funding practices. And there was a doozy of one on there today about some <sighs> stuff. Um, so he, you know, so call, but not just calling out the bad stuff, but I think highlighting the folks that are doing good. I think those folks need to be lifted up. And the more people hear about that, the more they're like, Oh, we should do this too. Um, and I will tell you one organization, not a foundation, but a state I would like to uplift is the state of Illinois. They, a couple of years ago, decided grant applications and management process the state. We've got all these discombobulated systems. Every every department does its own thing. We're wasting money. We're wasting staff time. We're wasting time of our fundees. Um, and so they went through the process and they streamlined every state agency to be, it's all through one portal now. They have, like, if you're going to apply, they have a site where all those typical attachments that funders ask for over and over and over again, you enter those in once. And then that way, if the funder wants it, they just have to go to your, your, the database and they can look mm-hmm. up and find it. Yeah. So it's already there. It's there. I mean, it's, I think it's a beautiful thing. In fact, Kimberly and I talked to um, Carol Krause, who was the leader of this whole initiative um, with the state of Illinois. We talked to her a few weeks ago um, on our podcast. And I just, I think every state needs a Carol and I wish Georgia would get (laughs) one like yesterday (laughs) to make this happen. I really want something like this in my state, but. um, And we really want to, we want to do that in our podcast too. That's one of the reasons Amanda and I started it is, yes, we want to talk about the how-tos and the what, but also the whys, but also talk to people who have made changes, who can give examples. Because as Amanda said, when we we're just starting out, you got to name it first, but just naming it doesn't solve it. It just 
names it. So there's the naming of what's going on. And then there's the how is it how to make those changes, knowing that it's not going to be, you know, the drop of a hat, the snap of your fingers or whatever other little cliche you want to throw in there about how quick it's going to be. But if we all just sort of him and hon do nothing, then, of course, nothing will change. Well, and I'd like to uplift there. Um, so we mentioned the Grant Professionals Association. There's mm-hmm. over 50 chapters of this group across the state. And the, uh, the Georgia chapter actually had several um, members who have been lamenting about some of these things and they ended up within the chapter forming a work group that they are now meeting regularly to discuss strategies to get better funder feedback, um, including working with funder agencies, um, software developers, all kinds of different things. And so I have to applaud those mm-hmm. folks that are, they're giving of their own time that they're, you know, could be doing anything else. And they've decided, you know what, we're going to work together and start making some, some change here. So you know, it, again, it doesn't have to be like, oh, well, that's not my job. Well, it kind of is, isn't it? It kind of is. Every, if you're writing grants, <laughs> it kind of is your job. So, um, you know, if you want to make the world a better place, it kind of is. Your job. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> the, I don't mean, I'm not making fun, but I'm like, it kind no. of is. No, you're right. <laughs> well, it's, it's great to see. I mean, you're writing grants to help organizations make the world a better place. And, and even if it, shrinks the number of hours of consulting because everything is so much easier. Oh man, it work, makes work me world... out of a job. Yeah, Katie. please. Work me right. out of a job. Make it so easy that I have to fall back on something else. I'm good. Don't worry about yeah. me. I know yeah. how to make money. It's okay. <laughs> exactly. Okay. I, and I've, I love that, that what you've talked about today of not only talking about these these difficulties and challenges, but also lifting up good examples, talking about where to find your people and, and, and come together to, to make change and, and what steps we can do uh, on that. And, and mentioning Grant Advisor, Fix the Form, mm-hmm. uh, and these membership organizations. I've got all those down. I'm going to include it in our show notes. And I know from listening to your podcast, anybody can go and, and listen to a whole episode on anyone of those. You've done a great job um, showcasing uh, good examples and ripped from the headlines of bad examples uh, um, and and also yep. very entertaining ways. Are there any other uh, places to go? Well, and one other no. group I would um, suggest you check out is the National Committee for Responsive Philanthropy. Um, we've actually talked to Janae Richmond, who was their director of marketing enrichment um, last season in our show. Um, but the NCRP, they're, they're working very hard to make philanthropy much more transparent to make sure DEI is included. I mean, they're, they're doing all the things we've been talking about um, on a grand scale. So that's a group. I definitely would check out the work that they're doing. Do we have time to call out a couple more? Sure. Um, Community centric fundraising. Um, Vule, the the nonprofit leader who started nonprofit AF, also was took a took a hand in getting this started. But it's community centric fundraising, and they have online forums and discussions and some incredible writing, um, both from people who are marginalized and from people like me who are wanting who are white and are wanting to make a difference, you know, positively and 
and, and sort of unpacking all this with philanthropy. Um, and two books, uh, one is decon, I can't say it, decolonizing wealth. There we go by Edgar Villanueva. That's been out for a couple of years. He was, we interviewed him, um, I think in season two, Amanda. We did. And um, an incredible book. Um, he is um, a very, he's a leader in the philanthropic field, and he is also an enrolled member of um, the Lumbee um, Native American tribe, uh, primarily based out of North Carolina. But he has a really, the whole book is just really eye-opening. If you've never had to think about it before, for whatever reason, I would suggest Decolonizing Wealth. And I'm also in the middle of reading um, a new book called, I think it came out this year, called Collecting Courage. And it's an anthology of a series of chapters, each written by a different black woman about um, their experiences in fundraising and grant writing and nonprofit sector in general. So, um, I'm hoping to get uh, one of the authors on our podcast and um, would really like to hold that up as uh, a great thing uh, to sort of get acquainted with if you if you don't know a lot about it. One way to find out is to read and ask questions. Excellent. Those are great resources. Thank you so much. And keep coming back to it. But where can our listeners learn more about your podcast and how to connect with you through the podcast? Um, well, you can find us pretty much everything you need to know on our website, which is fundraisingheyday.com. And Heyday is spelled H-A-Y-D-A-Y because it's our last names. Yep. Um, so that's a great place to find blog articles we've done, uh, podcast episodes, things like that. Um, we're all over social media. If you want to follow us on Twitter at uh, Funding Heyday. Um, and we have a group on Facebook called the Fundraising Heyday Community, where we share information and other grants and fundraising professionals can interact. Um, so those are probably some of the great best ways to find us. Of course, our podcast, you can find it on our website, but also we are on um, Apple Podcasts Apple, and thank Spotify. You. Thank you. I was drawing a blank. We're, we're places. Yes, we're places. We're places. Come find us. Come find us. Come listen. And our episodes drop every other Thursday. Um, and we, uh, Kimberly and I, sometimes we do have episodes where it's just us ranting. And we, we do bring in leaders in the field and get to interview view them and have been very fortunate. Some wise, wise people have been willing to come on and share their knowledge with us. Yep. So I, I learn something new every episode. So. Absolutely. Kimberly makes me read all kinds of books I never would have picked up on my own. Um, it's part of my job. learned so much. <laughs> That's her job. Amanda, read this. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, I could tell you, you both have such a great rapport with each other and so much knowledge to impart to us. So I am so looking forward to seeing you in real life once again, uh, hopefully this fall at the Grant Professionals Conference in November. I hear you have a Ask Me Anything podcast. We do. We're doing a live recording. Now the podcast won't go out live, but we're doing a live recording with the two of us and um, Lucy Morgan, who she has the podcast Grant Talks, which is also a great podcast I suggest folks listen to. Mm -hmm. Um, But the three of us are going to basically answering questions from the audience, both uh, the in-person attendees, as well as those that are listening in through the virtual component of the conference. So we're 
we're excited to see what questions we get. Yeah. <laughs> Start thinking that. And I, can I specify, these are questions mainly about grant seeking and grant management and grant yes. development. Yes. They're bigger questions that I don't know yeah. that we would have the answers for. <laughs> True story. Well, well, that takes some courage to do even with limited topics. So uh, again, I appreciate your time, knowledge, and uh, humor. Thank <laughs> and you. I know our listeners will as well. So thank you so much. And uh, we will pass along all of the links and resources to our listeners. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. It was a pleasure. Us. Always fun. <laughs>